The reading is from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 28. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those, who came, who, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favour of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I haven't found this sermon very easy to prepare, so it's lovely to stand up here and see all of your smiling faces. I know all will be fine. (laughs) So here we are. His spirit is with us, right with us today. 
As we start, let me ask you a question. Is it more important to be fair or to be generous? Now, I know those two things aren't mutually exclusive, but if you had to choose, is it more important to be fair or to be generous? Hold the thought, we'll come back to it. So you may know that phrase, that we're living in the now, but the not yet, of the kingdom of God. And this speaks of the belief that we have, that there is a future. There's a future where we are in an existence which is immersed in the presence of God. Um, Immersed in an environment which is characterised by him, by love, by mercy, by grace by compassion. This is what we hope for um, as we've chosen a life of faith in God. We believe and hope for this kingdom. And today we celebrate Pentecost, which is the arrival of his spirit here and now. So we not only hope for a kingdom that is to come, but it's really appropriate to think about the fact that we're also experiencing his kingdom right here and right now by the presence of his spirit with us. Um, In this way, we're living the glimpses and the traces of his kingdom to come. Every act of mercy, every act of kindness, every act of love is an act that brings in the kingdom of God right here, right now. Experiencing that peace which passes all understanding and it has nothing to do with life circumstances, that's an experience of God's kingdom right here, right now. It's that lived experience that we have of being in relationship with him. So when we think about the kingdom of God as we're doing in this series, we think of something that's launched, but it isn't fully here. And today we celebrate Pentecost and we celebrate what is here. His spirit is here. And we do have to grapple then with the tension that there are aspects of his kingdom which are not fully brought into being yet. And we live with teaching that points us to this ideal state, but we're not fully there. And I think with this parable, I'm going to focus on the first part of the reading, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. I think this parable speaks to something of the tension that we are living with of this now and not yet. So this parable comes in a section of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus's, stories of Jesus' life and his act- activities are interspersed with his teachings about the kingdom of God and the nature of the kingdom of God. And often his teaching is pointing to things that are surprising about the kingdom or counterintuitive. Just before this passage, we read that bit in chapter 19 where the little children are coming to Jesus and all the adults are like, no, 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 don't bother him, don't bother him. And Jesus says, let the little children come. The kingdom of heaven is for these. So his teaching was often placing the focus on things that were surprising. Now, where I find myself with this parable is it feels difficult. I haven't really, I've wrestled with this parable around fairness. What's really fair here? This doesn't seem like a story that's particularly fair, that some people work all day and get paid the same as some people who work for the last hour. It's a story about work, expectation, a sense of what people feel that they fairly deserve, and it's a story about generosity, undeserved generosity. So it's not that easy to make sense of. It feels like it's a story about unfairness, but actually I think it's about a lot more. So let's take a look and see what we can learn about this theme of fairness as it plays out in the kingdom of God. It's interesting when you look back just before the story of the, para- uh, the story of the workers that the story is prompted by a question from Peter. 
And Peter says to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. We, the disciples, we've left everything and we're following you. What then will there be for us? So his question is infused with this sense of expectation that because they've given up so much, there'll be some kind of reward. There's an expectation that there'll be some acknowledgement of the sacrifice they've made to follow Jesus. An expectation that somehow they'll be treated differently. An expectation that this would probably be the fair thing to do. Um, And so Jesus answers this question in three stages. The first thing he says is he says, when I'll be sitting on my throne, you'll also each have a throne. There'll be 12 thrones. And I'm not going to try and unpack the theology of that. That's too, too big for me. But he says that. So at some level, he says, there will be a reward for you in heaven. But immediately after that, he then uses this phrase. And he says, and many who are last will be first, and many who are first will be last. So um, he says there'll be a reward, but he follows that immediately by a point that says the way that we understand things is not the way that it will work in the kingdom. The way rewards are doled out, if you like, is not on the same parameters or the same principles as in our world. And then thirdly, he answers this question about reward with this parable. This is a story which directly challenges the disciples and our sense of fairness. Does it seem fair that everyone is paid the same? So in this three-part response to the question of what will we get, Jesus' point is that the principles of the kingdom of God are not the guiding principles that we're used to in our world. He doesn't work on that same equation of what I've earned and what I think I deserve relative to what I receive. What I think is happening here is Jesus is taking something that we understand well and we believe to be important. He's taking the concept of fairness. But what he's actually doing is enlarging it and he's wrapping it around with a concept of undeserved generosity and abundant generosity. Um, he's, He's not interested in weighing up how much do people deserve and is it fair. He takes the principle of fairness, which is really important in terms of our relationships with one another. He wraps around it this idea of undeserved generosity, which is really important in our relationship with him. So he's making this point bigger for us. Fairness is crucial and it coexists with generosity in the kingdom of God. Perhaps this is one of those upside-down truths, the the thing that um, turns things inside out from the kingdom of God. I do think that fairness is quite a complicated subject and it's quite subjective. As I was thinking about this, I was remembering a time when I worked in an organisation and we were trying to redesign the structure around pay and reward for, for employees. And we set ourselves the, the, the um, principle that we would design a structure that was fair and transparent for everybody. And actually that caused us no end of challenge. Someone's definition of fairness was not someone else's definition of fairness. Am I paid fairly relative to other people in the organisation? Am I paid fairly relative to what I could earn doing the same job in another organisation? Am I paid fairly relative to what I think my experience and the value that I bring is? It was very difficult to hold all those things together. In fact, impossible. And we also know this with, with relation to thinking about equality and diversity. We used to think, I think, that equality meant treating everybody exactly the same. We've developed a more nuanced understanding, I think, these days, which is that actually this understanding that for some people, the playing field was never even in the first place. 
So to treat everyone equal is not okay. Actually, to level the playing field might be to give some people more opportunity in order to level the odds that were stacked against them. Some people think that's fair. Others still would challenge that. So this concept of fairness is very subjective. And I'm sure you can resonate with my sense that that cry of it's unfair, it really it comes from the gut, the heart, doesn't it? It takes us to that childhood experience where we feel overlooked or marginalized or not seen. It's a very emotive topic. It can be very emotionally triggering for us. So let's look back at the parable and see if we can learn a couple of things. So firstly, in verse 14, when the workers start to grumble that they realize they've not been paid, they've been paid exactly the same as everyone else who worked for for much less time, the landowner says to them, I want to give the ones that I hired a denarius. I want to give them the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do that? Um, Are you envious because I'm generous? So the emphasis here is the landowner is saying it's his choice what he pays. And here we have an insight, I think. So here we learn that God's actions towards us are based on his character, not based on what we think we deserve. God's choices are determined by what rises internally in God's spirit and his character, not by human effort. His generosity bubbles up in abundance because he is goodness, he is love, he's compassion. But let's also notice that the point is made in the parable that no one was treated unfairly relative to what they understood they were going to earn that day. Each person had a contract about how much they would earn. So relative to what they agreed, they weren't treated unfairly. The reality, the difficult reality to wrap our heads around is that some people were treated more generously. But actually everyone was treated relative to what they'd agreed. Some people uh, were treated more generously but everybody went home with enough money to feed their families for that day. Notice also the order in which people were paid. Had the people who worked all day been paid first, they would have taken their denarius and gone off and felt quite content with their lot. But actually, the order of payment was reversed. So they had a chance to sit there and think, oh, they're being paid a denarius. Oh, and they are. So that must mean, in the equation I have in my mind, that I'm going to get more. Logical, very logical. Um, So with each payment, they're getting a higher sense of expectation. I think the teaching point here is just pointing out how easy it is for us to get into that place of comparison and expectation and a sense of what we deserve relative to what we do. Um, How easy it is to get into that. Uh, This, I think, is difficult to wrap our heads around and it is engaging with the upside-down truth of the kingdom of God. Fairness exists in the kingdom of God, but so does generosity, undeserved generosity. And this point about undeserved generosity seems to be not about the practicalities of work and pay, but about the spiritual dimension of our lives, the possibility of being in relationship with God, whoever we are, no matter what we've done. For all of us, it's available The order of things that we've come to understand in this world about work and reward is not the order of things that applies when it comes to knowing God and the possibility of a life in his kingdom. The simple truth, I think, is this, that when we live in the presence of God, when we have the honour of our lives touching the edge of his kingdom, when he builds his kingdom in our hearts, there's quite simply nothing that we could have ever done to earn that.
what we receive is a measure of the grace and the generosity of God. So this parable is about the grace of God whose character is such that he deals with us generously. This parable isn't about the battle for fairness. Although the reality is in our lives, don't we live in a world where fairness and unfairness is really prevalent? So we're in the not yet. We're not in that ideal state. And so I think we need to find a way of holding this tension. Perhaps we look forward to a time when fairness is not really so relevant because we're enveloped in the presence of God. But at the moment, actually, we don't, we don't live there yet. So every time now in our world that we take a stand for fairness, I think we take a stand that ushers in the kingdom of God. This parable isn't about setting fairness aside and saying that's not important. I think it's saying both fairness and generosity can exist together. We have to learn to hold both together. And we also have to learn to hold comparison, expectation, and that equation of what we deserve. We have to hold that to the side. So going back then to my question about whether fairness or generosity are most important... I don't think the message of Jesus in this parable is saying that fairness isn't important. But I think his challenge in the parable is for us to expand our thinking. There's more to this than meets the eye. Let's look at the world with the question of what abundant generosity and kindness might make possible here, as well as fairness. What's possible with that mindset? What does that actually mean in practice then, I wonder? Perhaps it means that we are to fight for fairness and justice in the world. And we're to live with an understanding that when it comes to our relationship with God and his interest in being part of our lives, everything we receive is not fair to what we deserve. It's generous. It's his grace. We receive it because he he gives us his love based on his character, his mercy. The great reversal of the kingdom of God, the last being first, the first being last, is about our expectations and our comparisons being irrelevant in the face of the possibility of a life lived in his spirit, in his presence. So for me on a daily basis, I think what that means in all simplicity is to choose gratitude, to not assume that I've earned it or I deserve it, to not assume that waking up in the morning and being able to be in relationship with God is something that's owed to me because of what I've done. But to be grateful that I wake up in the morning and I'm in relationship with God, he's been right by my side all through the night because he is generous in his love and his grace. To choose gratitude that he chooses me and to fight for fairness in our relationships with one another while we wait for that ideal state. Amen.